Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 79 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. The podcast in which I, your humble hosting guide, Daryl Edge, take you, the lovely, loyal listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. What is true Cage Nirvana, you may ask? Well, it's very simple. It's the highest, most elegant, most purest, most spiritual, most emotional, most loving, most sexual, most ethereal form of being that one can achieve. And it's only achievable, you guessed it, by watching every film the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicolas Cage himself, has ever been in. And that journey continues this week. Uh, so how are you? How have you been? Hope you've had a good week. Mine has been pretty, pretty good. Saw the new Jackass film. It's a five-star film. I'll be taking no other questions on this at this time. Um, but the film I'm watching this week is uh, not quite Jackass forever. It is called Vengeance, a love story. As we continue through Nicolas Cage's 2017 this week I was joined by comedian Pride of Hull and friend Sam Marrow to talk all about this one as Cage's straight-to-DVD era continues. In this episode we're discussing the many cliches throughout the film. We do a little check-in on Cage's hair, the number of times that Cage appears from nowhere on multiple occasions, um, the just the, the bizarrity, if you think about it, portrayed here of... Niagara Falls, their police department, and I'm I'm not convinced that this is a place that exists. Uh, but this was tremendous fun to do this episode. Um, I've been sort of talking to Sam about getting him on for an episode for a while now, and it was um, an absolute delight. Um, 90 minutes of sheer delightfulness. And I hope that you're going to enjoy it as well. Um, as ever, you can find me in all the usual social medias, uh, Twitter at cage underscore podcast instagram at cage rage pod and you can find me on all the usual streaming services spotify apple pod chaser and all the rest of them if you're listening on one of these that you can leave a rating of five stars if you enjoy it please do that'd be tremendously uh, appreciated and helpful and it helps the podcast grow um and all the usual links are in the descriptions down below. Um, with that all said and done, let's get right in to episode 79. It's Vengeance of Love Story, Daryl Edge, Sam Marrow, Cage Rage, Nichols Code Podcast. Enjoy. Duh. 2017 continues with the action thriller Vengeance, a love story. This week, Cage stars as John Dromore, a detective who takes the law into his own hands when a woman's attackers are acquitted in court. Now, joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to see if vengeance is a story worth telling or if this tale should stay on the shelf, it's comedian and friend Sam Marrow. Sam, welcome. How are you doing today? Hello. Yeah, I'm very good. I'm very good. I just got Starbucks delivered. Uh, which is the first time I didn't have to deliver. <laughs> I got a nice hazelnut treat ready for this. Um, 
and it was the best bit of my day. And it's uh, two o'clock now, so that was a bit of a telling, <laughs> it's a telling scenario of what I'm going to talk about in a minute. Because a hazelnut latte is the is the best bit of my day so far. <laughs> and you've watched this film twice. We were just talking twice. off record that effectively you've just discovered that Deliveroo exists. Um, I love. Well, I was, of... I'm not. I'm not caveman, but I, I'm a, I, I knew Deliveroo exists. But I, it was the concept of getting coffee delivered to your house that I didn't like. I, I tested it because I thought it was a joke. I thought it was a trick. <laughs> There's nothing in my experience of knowing you to disprove the fact that you are or are not a caveman. <laughs> That's, that's true, to be fair. I think as long as I've known you, it's like every day you've discovered something everyone else has known for for about 30 years. <laughs> like yeah. a direct um, a direct quote from you once, I think we're harking back to, I'm going to say 2011 here. We were walking through a park. You saw a small bird and said, and I quote, good that. <laughs> it was good though. See, this has been quite at me a few times, but you need to see the bird to get the context of the story because I was walking and it was like well colourful. <laughs> I thought, oh, that's a nice bird. I've never seen, like, I've seen seagulls and stuff. And I'm not disproving the thingy of birds. I'm aware birds exist. But I've never seen one like that. It was a good bird. 10 out of 10. Is up there with a 10 out of 10 bird. Couldn't tell you the breed or species of bird, but had a hilariously small beak. It did. It did. <laughs> I know that was one of the focal points. Because I was like, how does it eat stuff with that beak? And its legs were long. Did you, did you, um, and I suppose for the listener, the context is we both went to, uh, met and went to uni in Southampton a once upon a lifetime ago. We did. Um, speaking of like birds in the area, did, did you ever see, because I did, I saw with my own eyes more than once a seagull eating a dead bird? Yeah, their seagulls were brutal, weren't they? They had like tattoos and that, didn't they? They were awful. <laughs> I, I think you said to me once, like, oh, I saw a seagull that had like a, Pack of cigarettes in its wing. It did. It was rolled <laughs> up in its sleeve. I'm, uh, that's not a lie. It did. <laughs> Anchor tattoo looked yeah. at you, called you a nonce, and went about its way. <laughs> yeah, it was unnecessary. Yeah. Was only walking to the shop. To this day, the police consider you a hindrance on local services. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for more than one reason. Yeah. <laughs> I was voted one to watch, but unfortunately, it was by the Southampton City Council. <laughs> Oh, uh, speaking of ones to watch, which we'll uh, we'll, we'll get onto this this film, Vengeance, yeah. a love story. But uh, whenever we kick off these podcast episodes, especially with new guests to the journey, um, I'm always interested. I have to ask the question uh, for you, Sam Nicholas Cage. Uh, your opinions on the man? Rate him, hate him, tolerate him. Where do you stand on the man? I call the Golden Hog of Hollywood. For years, I thought he was just like a a joke actor. Like I, I, I'd never seen a lot of him, and I, but I never thought I thought he was just always one of them Hollywood guys. Like Face Off is the the film I've seen the most with him in, and he just sort of like screams. Or the main thing I knew about him was when you made me watch um, what's the one where he gets eaten by bees in a helmet. I can't remember <laughs> the name of that film. The Wicker Man. Yeah, so I'm not huge. I'm not huge cage aficionado, but I actually think he's not a bad actor. I watched that pig one that you said to me, and I was like, Jesus, this is a different guy. So mm. I'm trying to go back. I watched Raising Arizona. That was well good. Uh, there's a few I've watched apart from this one. He was good in all of them. Uh, yeah, so I like Nicholas Cage. I think he's more. I used to treat him as an ironic figure, but I actually think he's a 
he's just a good he's a good guy yeah <laughs> you've uh you've come round you've seen the yeah, light I have, I've, yeah. that i've been talking about for over 10 years minimum <laughs> <laughs> yeah but everything you say is ironic like i didn't know it'd be like Everything you say is a sketch, so I didn't know. I thought you were just jo- anything you said was joking about him. I thought because oh, Daryl likes people who make funny faces, so I thought he's really street. I do really <laughs> like people who make funny faces. Um, I've, I've said this before on the podcast. I think I think as you'll attest to this, I've become uh, the Nicholas Cage guy of various friendship groups. Yes, and yeah. I think any time I've told anyone that I like Nicolas Cage genuinely as an actor, I've had to go through three rounds of intense interrogation of people asking me, why are you lying? Yeah. No, he's what? good. He's not bad. Honestly, I, I wouldn't say that. I've watched he's a good actor. Even in this film we watched, I mean, he's, he was the most convincing part of the film. Well, we'll get on, I guess we'll get onto it in a minute, but yeah, he was, he's decent. I can understand why you like him. But you are always that guy, you know, when you scroll through Instagram and you see a meme of Nicolas Cage, it's an immediate tag or send to Daryl <laughs> in any situation. This this is kind of the thing now, because I'm, I try to keep on the Cage pulse. Um, yeah, of course, yeah. And, and yeah. Nine times out of ten when well, people send me a Cage meme, I'll be like, you've got to be pretty quick to beat me to a meme. <laughs> I've already seen it, yeah. <laughs> Especially a meme that I've not actually created and put out there. But that's what I imagine because nobody else is talking about him. This is almost like, well, no, that's a lie. He's a great man. But I don't see anybody else dedicating a podcast to him. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it's their own. We've all got our own mental illnesses that we're dealing with. <laughs> we do, and I'm riddled. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely riddled. I mean, this this is the culmination of obviously everyone being affected in 2020 by the pandemic and yeah. I'd lost, lost my job at the time, lost my marbles. And I yeah. thought what the people need now is my opinion on Nicolas Cage. That's really going to get us through the next two years of this thing. Yeah. I think it was not a down in worst decision in history. I think it, it was, uh, I think I've got this written down in my diary. Daryl made worst decision. I'll just, I'll just read it to you. Daryl, during the pandemic, made the worst decision in history, and I don't know the contents of that, but I presume <laughs> it was to make a Nicolas Cage podcast. <laughs> well, it can't be disproved any otherwise. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it's up there in some of the worst decisions ever made. But no, it's great. I'm looking forward to it. Quality. At this at this point, like I say, uh, I'm, I guess at the point of recording, I'm probably like 80-odd episodes in now. I can't stop. I'm too... Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm too far down the rabbit hole to stop at this point. It'd be a discredit and a disgrace <laughs> yeah. to the nation. So you know I mean? you actually enjoy it. I've listened to them. You really, it's really good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, feel, I feel like speaking to a stepdad is trying to bond with his stepson yeah. after years. Yeah, and I've, just... I've just lost in halfway through that sentence. I lost interest in trying to keep. Like you know, the stepdad's like, oh yeah, you should really keep. Uh, I don't know, play football or something. Get, get involved or something. Just don't bother me. <laughs> This is this is also kind of on the back of the issue of, um, as you say, because no one knows when I'm being serious or not. Cause I'm, I'm, I can be quite dry at the best of times, and with a, yeah. quite a monotone voice, it doesn't help. Uh, the other day, I wasn't talking about Nicolas Cage, surprisingly enough, to um, uh, Kim, my other half, and she literally she'd asked me, "Oh, how's your day been?" And then I started telling her about things that were going on at work. She fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As I was talking That's to That's pretty her, brutal, isn't it? And I said, you just fell asleep. And she went, I'm sorry, you're just so boring. 
I was like, oh, fair, fair one, fair one. Jury's out, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll allow it. I can absolutely imagine that happening, and I love you to death, but I just can just imagine. <laughs> not, not the first person I've put to sleep, and um, I mean, looks... I want to reassure you. I mean, I, you are a great guy and an interesting man, but I can see him. Our eyes drifting into the distance while you're talking about some sort of obscure thing you did that day. I could see, see the whites of her eyes as she fell yeah. backwards. Um, and then was was my first thought, oh, I should go and um, help her. It's like, now I'm going to finish my sentence. I'm actually quite yeah. annoyed that this has happened. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, speaking of things that could potentially be seen as annoyances, uh, this film uh, yeah, vengeance, a love story from two thousand and seventeen. Uh, um, twenty seventeen, an odd year for Nick Cage. Um, we're still very much here in the era of the straight DVD Cage movie. We're sort of slowly coming towards the end of it, but we're not quite there yet. Um. Is this one prior to recording that you'd ever seen or heard of before? No, I think I might have passed it on Amazon as you're looking through stuff, but it just it looks like a straight-to-DVD. You know, the titles and everything about it looks like a straight-to-DVD film, so I'd never heard of it before, no. No, it's, it's very endemic of the straight-to-DVD market at the time of uh, White Man in Front of Explosion on poster. Exactly, yeah, yeah, and the titles and everything. Which, to be fair, um, there's at least five other movies in the 2010s that had almost the exact same poster for uh, Nick Cage. The only difference was, did he or did he not have a beard <laughs> on the poster? You see, like, front. John Travolta in him as well now and stuff like that. It's the same sort of... It must sell well. It must be just, like, a way of selling a film, I guess. I think that's where they hope all the money is going to come from. I suppose... Yeah. John Travolta, um, as with Nicolas Cage, as with the uh, Bruce Willis. Uh, um, Let's stop this podcast now. I think John Travolta's largely gotten away with it. He's done a lot of piff and spaff in a yeah. recent memory. Bruce Willis has been pumping out the same film for about 20 years now. Um, yeah. I think there was a story that I read that he's he sort of st- stunt doubles and stand-ins do more of his shots than he's actually in. He just well, turns up films on a lawn. There's dialogue in these films, is there? That, I don't even know if there needs to be. It's such a... <laughs> I think, you know, I think with, with almost elements of what this, this story was... Thought it was, I think. It was trying to be a sort of taken he or thought it was a kind of John Wick story of revenge um, in, especially in the second half mostly because I think this is kind mm. of a, a film of two halves um, but it couldn't be further from the truth of what it thinks it is No, I, I, it was sold like, and, and you watch the trailer and it's like Nicolas Cage is in a vengeance and it's a really slow unnecessary film Like, and there, there's like about four minutes of action in it throughout the full thing it's It'd almost be better if it was filmed like a noir or something. That's what I thought today. I think if it, had, um, you know, I guess what, what I guess this is kind of like a broad overview for me here. Yeah. We'll sort of break it down more. I kind of think that if it had done, maybe done away with some of the action entirely, it might have been a more not necessarily coherent film, but there was there was 
bits that I agree with with a few of the critical reviews of this. Because yeah. on Rotten Tomatoes, basically, um, only four critics have admitted to watching this. And as such, it's not enough to give it a rating. So this is rated non-applicable on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. That's about right. Audience score have given it 27%. Um, but majoritively, they decided that this one was very uh, cliche-ridden, heavy-handed, ham-fisted. Um, and there was there was a lot of that in there. Um, I've some... written down cliche about eight times for all these, uh, these little notes I've made on it. Just <laughs> honestly, just even from the... I mean, I don't know which bit you want to get onto first, but even from the beginning, it's just... You're like, oh no, we're in for a treat here. <laughs> <laughs> there's, 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 there's just a lot of things that this film just has to hit certain beats, and the way it kicks off, it's with um, Cage, sort of John Dramore and his and his partner. Um, they're going on. Well, he's at, he's at the shooting range right at the start. Yeah, um, he's hitting the target every shot. <laughs> <laughs> Every shot, every it's shot impossible is impossible. Bullseyes, like <laughs> no one's ever done in that row. And then it was switching between guns, so it was like because just to show he's like proficient in armory, he switches from guns and picks up. Do you know like that gun from The Walking Dead that Rick's got? That like hilariously impossibly long, like almost rifle pistol. You would never use it. No, no, no competent police officer would carry that with him, and he just fires it from Target's head about four miles away. There was one or two things in this, and it, it, it there was one. I think a handful of like moments where I was like, "America," um, <laughs> that that was the first yeah. one, like the yeah. longest uh, gun in the world, which yeah. can like even if you've got it holstered, you've got like a thing that's about the the barrel of it is about four foot long. That's not honestly big. right. I saw it. I've been to a shooting range in Prague on a stag do, right. And we were firing guns, and I missed the target. Every, and I'm not a trained police officer, but let's let's. I mean, let's put that rumor to bed right now. For people were thinking <laughs> it. But like, and we held one of them Desert Eagle thing, and it was too heavy to lift. And then when I fired it, it almost broke my wrist. You know what I mean, <laughs> so that's for him to do that. I mean, I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm not saying it's impossible. But it, I don't know. I don't even I mean, know what I'm trying to say there. It just infuriated <laughs> me. Tell me, you're not a member of the Niagara Falls Police Department without <laughs> telling me. Um, is that where it was set, by the way, Niagara Falls? Niagara Falls Police Department. Um, and then I know the context, some kind of context, is when later on, when, when Nicholas Cage's character is getting interviewed by some other cops, they say, like, a Desert Storm, Purple Heart. Yeah, um, look, I've written that down as well. Just a cliche of, like, war hero. Like, did you... <laughs> I don't know. We'll get on to it in a minute. But I was I, even the start though. What annoyed me the most was the it was like real footage of arrests and stuff. Do you remember? And it was mm. like police trying to put out fires and, and it's like this is a dangerous town and all this. And it was just a waste. It was like a terrible CSI intro, and then it just cuts to him like he's going to solve it all. <laughs> One man. Yeah. Um... Terribly dyed hair as well. Let's plan it with. The, the terribly dyed hair. Um, I mean, this is something I've I've joked about, but I feel like I've got to commit to. Like when I'm either at a point where Nicholas Cage is no longer making movies, which will never happen, or with the podcast I'm caught up. I've sort <laughs> of alluded to the fact I might do, and I don't even know what kind of work this is going to have to undertake. But 
a complete, like, for all his movies at that point, say, the top 120 from bottom to top of Nicolas Cage's hair. All of them rated definitively. But it's going yeah. to be difficult because in the mid-2010s, as is evident here, he had the exact same, like, very heavily hairsprayed, um, black dyed hair, um, just all slicked back. Very very Lego haircut for a while. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. It was very Lego, wasn't it, the way it's looked? <laughs> and it was almost purple. It was dyed that black. It was, so <laughs> it was, a, it was a, a hue to it, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know whether that's the magnificent man himself just glowing and then... It's almost like a back, his backlit wherever he goes, but it just looks awful. This, this is um, textbook Widow's Peak era cage, um, with, when it kind of just like loops in the middle and you've got sort of the dips at the sides. Yes, um, yeah. But now, I think if you look at his hair now, he's got like, or some, you know, very recent 2021, 20, 2022 footage of like Nick Cage hair. It's suspiciously youthful, and I suspect hair transplant. Um, unconfirmed reports, I will stress, if his lawyers are listening. Yeah, libelous. Um, this is, you know, and th- this will not be the only libelous thing I say in my time, if I've got my way. Um, America. Yeah, you're a rebel. You always have been, to be honest. <laughs> I'll say anything for, uh, uh, for a pound coin, me. Um, <laughs> but th- this is, I don't... I'm trying to think where, like, where his hair would significantly change after this because it's very. It might not be till pig actually. That being said, that his hair changes significantly. Um, not be a wig down in, in pig. I, I don't know. Knowing him, you never know. I suspect it could be a pig wig because um, there were some <laughs> images of him that have come out for the film we're shooting now called the Retirement Plan, where he's had quite. Long. I hope that's a real life documentary that they're making about him. Retirement. <laughs> <laughs> so he finally puts us out of our misery. <laughs> you shut your damn mouth if you know it's good for you. <laughs> um, now he's he's reteaming up with Ron Perlman for the first time since um, season of The Witch in 2011. Um, his daughter gets involved in kind of like a heist thing, but she has to go back to the one man who can pull off the great heist. Which is Nicholas Cage, of course, um, and Ron Perlman is a bad guy in that. Um, which there's not much other information about it at the moment. I have a horrible feeling, and I could be wrong. I'm happy to be wrong, but I've got a feeling this one's not going to be good. Yeah, I mean, you've never been wrong before, so I, I, I think I don't know. <laughs> my, my, they don't uh, jump out at you that Nicholas Cage and Ron Perlman is not a must see, is it? I mean, <laughs> I like I don't mind Ron Perlman, but well, he's just the same character in everything he's ever in, isn't he? Well, I've seen Season of the Witch, and you're not far wrong. Yeah, we'll uh, save that for the Ron Perlman podcast we're going to do next week. Ron Perlman's of Wisdom, <laughs> coming coming 2023. Um, but, the, yeah, end, endemic of uh, Cage's hair at this time. Um, and then, you know, quickly following this, after he's doing to the shooting range, they have that bit where it's him and his partner, and they're driving through that, um, that neighbourhood hmm. to capture some... Guy, and then it turns into like uh, they ram the car into the side of the van, and um, they both end up getting shot. But there's one thing I don't know if you noticed this as well. Um, I think when they were trying to get the guy who was still in the van, the guy drove into their police car. And Nick Cage's character, and I'm sure I didn't make this up, Cage got whipped by the car and flew off screen. Yeah, and he in, gets thrown about 20 feet in, 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 the, in the direction. He gets hit by a moving vehicle. He gets, 
he got hit by a moving vehicle. Yeah, two, and the... anyway, one collision was with the car he was next to, and then the car, and he flew across the, the yard, killing any normal man, presumably. That's <laughs> me. And then the, the next scene is on his feet with his gun pointed. And he's, yeah, he, he almost backflips up, right? And then he looks around the car with the gun. And but you missed a bit before it, right? Where the 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 partner was saying like, oh, he's like looking at a wedding ring. Do you remember? And he's yes. like, next week I'm going to ask Betsy to marry me. <laughs> and it's like two days before retirement. <laughs> it's it's like the first. This is like two minutes into the film, and so many like action cop boxes have been ticked at this point. Yeah. Um, and I can't like twenty feet. He gets whipped by this car. Oh, it was a brutal scene, collision. Yeah. The next scene is on his feet, and he's absolutely fine. Like his partner gets shot. I think his partner is fine. Cage gets shot in the next scene. Cage is absolutely fine. Um, but this yeah, the is... worst bit of makeup ever. By the way, he might as well have spilt Rabina on his jacket. The way when he got <laughs> shot, he was just acting like he was fine. <laughs> I think this is. This is kind of some of, I guess, to go back to that Rotten Tomatoes review, some of the uh, the ham-fisted ways that this film is approached. Uh, this was directed by a gentleman by the name of Johnny Martin, who is known primarily as a stuntman and a stunt coordinator. Um, ah. And this, in my experience, tends to happen when stuntmen um, have dreams beyond their station of getting hit by cars themselves. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, this guy, to his credit, very prolific in the stunt world, um, has stunted and or stunt coordinated on the likes of uh, Gone in 60 Seconds, Terminator 2, Baywatch, Titanic. Wow. So he thought, um, I'm going to take the experience of a sinking ship and bring it to this movie. Yeah, and, in metaphorically and whatever <laughs> the other word is. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, spiritually, metaphorically. Yeah. Um, I don't so, think we can emphasize enough how how hard he got hit. By that <laughs> he really, really did. I mean, it was a brilliant stunt. If we're, if we're talking about it, was great. It was well done. But like, I don't know. Well, you're not getting up from that, yeah. Well, cages. <laughs> like I said, and this is this is to take a quote from your playbook. Conventional weaponry cannot bring this man down. No, it totally, yeah. Um, I think this is the issue with the first five minutes of the film going up to this point is that um, it sets you up to be a completely different film. And you're like, yes, oh, okay, we got yeah. a bit, we got a bit of action kicking up here. Um, we got some stunts going off, some guns are being fired. Um, but then we sort of we sort of move quickly into, I guess, the primary arc of this, which is um, Tina Maguire, played by Anna Hutchinson, along with a. Uh, daughter Bethy Maguire, played by uh, Talitha Bateman. She was the um, best actor in it, I thought. By the way, the little girl, I thought she was really good. I will agree and second that and carry the motion. Yeah, right here. Um, I thought I thought uh, Talitha, who played Bethy, was was very good. A lot, yeah. and, and I've, I make no secret in saying a lot of the time I'm not a, a big fan of child actors because they can be like. Boo! Learn your craft. Yeah, and not Get some experience. All... <laughs> See, like some child actors like can be like very, very good, but some for me just like look there, it's a tree, um, and then I'm like throwing popcorn at the screen, going ah, yeah, 
I wish you were. I mean, it's an odd thing to be annoyed about, but I I, I agree with you. Yeah, <laughs> they're not professionally trained actors. <laughs> when you've watched as many films as I have on this podcast, you have the right you to be to angry. Give a break. <laughs> I used to. But I, you... not, I mean, they're not good. I mean, but this girl was, she carried the film and she was, well, she was also like the main responsible human in it as well. She was great. She carries like a lot of, just a lot of heavy lifting in this, a lot of emotional yeah. weight. Um, I mean, there was, there's a scene um, later on where she has to, and I'm skipping ahead here, but she has to single-handedly bury a cat um, in her garden with her own hands. And I was like, Jesus Christ, you're, you know, all the characters go through a lot of, like, a lot in this. Which... Yeah, it is, it is brutal, isn't it? It's, like, emotionally, like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there's a bit in the, like, not to skip too far ahead, but there's a bit in the hospital where she explains the medical condition to, the, to her grandmother in, like, in, I think I've written it down. She's she's responsible for telling the human, I mean, the humans, the adults, <laughs> <laughs> the adults, what's going on with her mum? And there's doctors flying about everywhere. She's just, I mean, there's too much strain put on her in this film. It's not realistic. There's there's a lot of that in this film where, with characters um, having to explain a lot of things to other characters. A lot of like, she like the daughter who, I think she's, she's 10 years old in this, 12 years old, and she has to, as oh, you said, she has to like... She's been given the burden by medical professionals to explain to her grandmother the critical condition her mother is in after an assault. I was like, you shouldn't have to do that. No, she should be in care. She's just, she's 12. Nicholas Cage kneels down in front of her and goes, now this is your responsibility. you got to look after your mother now. And I'm like, this is a, young, this is a little girl. <laughs> and like... We can't stress enough at this point. No, she's got like a, a broken arm herself. You know, she's yes. been through. She's been through like a ringer also. And then, I guess on 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 a flip side of that, there's numerous times later in the film where, um, I think especially it's it, the lawyer. Um, it's something J. Kirkpatrick played by Don Johnson, who lawyer explains yes. a number of things like he. He lawyer explains how hearings work to the only other lawyer in the film. Yeah. Um, at the end of the film, where him and Nick Cage have their one scene together, he's like, "There's a little something called the Constitution." <laughs> yeah, I cheered at that point. I was, yeah, that was great. <laughs> it's like you can't just throw around big words like the Constitution and like. Oh God, you lo- you lawyered him good, Kirkpatrick. You know what it reminded me of, Dally? Have you ever seen The Office where he makes Threat Level Midnight, Michael Scott? <laughs> <laughs> because he, even in the bar, there's like there's loads of like newspaper clippings of Hero Cop Saves Town or like Nicolas Cage saves the Super Bowl. Do you know in like most <laughs> Nicholas Cage saves Burning Mountain Dew Factory. And he's this emotionless, like, even for the first few scenes, even when his partner's talking to him, he's just, all he's thinking about is the case. Do you know what I mean? He's <laughs> expressionless. He's just fucking. Yeah, it's it's very um, on the nose at the start to, to get the point of like that. Um, John Dromore is weapons proficient. Um, he's invulnerable to cars. Yes. Um, from any direction, he is presumably metal legs as well. <laughs> well, there is is that one scene where he buffs his metal knees before <laughs> yeah. going on a rampage. 
but I'd forgotten about that. Like, um, see, uh, Tina's talking to him at the bar, um, and this is in the wake of the 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 shootout and the the, the car whip that we're talking about. And then yeah. there's just there's no real reason for it, but just this bar just has framed news clippings of like hero cop, hero cop, and she's like. Basically, they both basically look and wink at the camera and go like, you're a hero, wink. Um, <laughs> she then... says it, Daryl. She <laughs> says to him, it's not often that I meet a hero and points <laughs> to a newspaper clipping of a hero cop saves, like, school bus. A hero cop saves 17 cats from trees in day. Um, and then he has to be kind of like, I don't know, um, the world-weary... Like, again, we've used this sort of motif, but the, uh, oh, too old for this kind of cop. It's like, I'm not a hero. And then it's like, well, everything to my knowledge of this film so far suggests the otherwise, sir. Exactly. I thought that was weird because what I've been led to believe is that you're the greatest hero on it. There's there's just a lot of very... um, uh, not, Not a big lack of subtlety when you may be the film is very eager to spoon feed the audience. Like this is what yeah. you need to know about this character. This is what you need to know about this character. And, and it tries to give us a lot of information at the start. It's like, well, Nick Cage is weapons profession. He's a hero. Both him and Tina are widowers. Um, they're like, like, Oh my God, you guys have got so much in common. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then I mean, it hits you in the face of all them, doesn't it? It just, it's not even subtle in the slightest. <laughs> It hits you in the face with the speed of a car being whipped from collision, some might yeah. say. Um, but a lesser man would not survive, as we, as we know to be true. Yeah, or any normal human on Earth, I would presume, but yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose, speaking of like ham-fisted and America, it's a 4th of July party. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. That follows on from this. Um, I think really all this kind of serves is... I guess the relationship between Tina and Bethy is like, oh, Tina is quite overprotective, and you, you get the feeling that Bethy's quite um, headstrong and independent, um, as is reinforced when, as you said, Nick Cage tells her that like everything that happens from now on is completely on you. Remember that <laughs> child. Yeah, remember that infant. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, obviously, they get to the sort of the, the crux of the story here, like a. Very horrifying scene that um, Tina and Buffy are both just accosted by four men. It's who awful, in, isn't it? Who, in my notes, I was like, all four of them could be Kid Rock at any stage of his career. I mean, think of the the most cliche, and they surrounded them like the monkeys from the Wizard of Oz, didn't they? Do you know, like the way it's just terrible acting. <laughs> it's it's just very like uh, it, it's just any. And I sort of like hate to sort of like think about them, but you think any scene like this is like, where are you going, girl? Woo! Yeah. Want to come yeah. back to my place? Their place is a shack in the middle of the woods, which tells you might you, as well have heard uh, ding, 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 <laughs> <that> deliverance. <laughs> they might as well have been draped in the Confederate flag, um, <laughs> been doing donuts in a car park, in, in, uh, and a Dukes of Hazard. They're all called Skeeter. Though, to be fair, right. Um, I I could I think they mention these characters' names once or twice throughout the film, and I couldn't tell you which of I've had to call them like collectively bad boys because I yeah. didn't know which one was which. There's two brothers, 
There's a guy with short hair. Yeah. Um, I only know because we get it focuses on the brother's parents quite a lot. Um, Ridiculous as well, yeah. And then with the brother's parents, as with the brother's younger sister, it kind of starts leading to this. Like it's like okay, how can we you know continue to reinforce that? these are like scum of the uh, shit on the bottom of your butt shoe kind of people. It's just how many times can we have these characters called Tina a whore or a skank? Yeah, and it's about twenty yeah, times, it's and it's just like nobody would act in the most. They act in the most unreasonable manner. Uh, do you remember what about that French vicar that comes? And then, like, who... I can't believe that. <laughs> I don't know it's if a... I'm jumping ahead, so tell me if I'm getting too far in front. But I, I, the guy, he's it, almost like a supervillain. This guy is so it's so bizarre because um I was the assault happens um Bethy hides and then by good fortune happens to find John and his partner who are driving down yeah. um and then they're saying oh there's DNA there's fingerprints all over this shack this is going to be an open and closed case um and then they um it's Mr and Mrs Fick and it's was it the mother of the brothers who's kind of just as deplorable in a lot of senses as the brothers are? Yeah, um, very unreasonable. Yeah. But they but then for some reason, as you said, they are visited by I don't know, a weird French priest who lives in Niagara Falls and he's just like, um, you know, we're all God's children. Yeah, and he was uh, like, "This this will look bad on the church if you." And he hands her like that business card. He said, "This guy helps us in the Vatican or something." And I'm not sure where that what, what that was about. Uh, Francois Xavier de Clee, if I'm pronouncing that, stars as Father Muldoon. Um... <laughs> That's not his name. Just bringing up um, IMDb now um, and. I think he's on. I mean, to be fair, and I fully recommend anyone because in this film he's an older gentleman, like short, curly grey hair, uh, like full priest get up, and he's saying that we're all God's children, um, and what God wants is for you to hire the best lawyer in Niagara Falls. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. He must be a friend of the family because it's not really explained why he's so invested in the case, but it's like this guy has represented the Vatican eighteen times. Um, and sort of leaves it there, um, I think, to your own imagination. I think it was a thinly veiled, like, ooh, political criticism on the paedophile scandal in the Vatican. Do you know, I, like, I don't I know where so. that was coming from. It was just an odd inclusion, isn't it? It was a really strange way of saying it. Yeah, it, it has to be just a very, very thinly veiled thing. Um, but I'm just looking up at like, his credits now, um, Xavier de Clee. And if you go in his internet movie database, um, the picture they've used for him as his profile picture is him in the middle of the desert in a photo taken maybe in the late 80s of him doing a full jumping um, split-legged kick in midair. I mean, yeah. He, I, as soon as I saw him, I thought he's a John claude Van Damme type figure. <laughs> he, he honestly looks like Fabio. Yeah, it's... he was the most muscly priest I've ever seen. It was just sort of, <laughs> he was busting out of his little vicar shirt. <laughs> Well, his, his first credit um, from 1996 was a, fear, um, a film called Adrenaline, Fear the Rush. <laughs> no, I've never wanted to watch anything more in my life. And you he should followed... watch it immediately, <laughs> if not sooner. He, 
He followed that up also in 96 with Nemesis 3, Pray Harder. Yeah. Um, Starting to see a theme. I don't know what you're about. <laughs> 2006, Vagabond. He starred in an episode of Conan the Adventurer in 98. Um, played Professor Lyons in Chocolate City 2015. Mm-hmm. Um so it's you know a, a storied career, shall we say, just being a French man with no reason for being in films, um, which is very exciting. Yeah, um, and then you never, and we never see him again. Because uh, I thought, oh, this, does this woman work for the church? Is she like? Is that the narrative they're trying to say? Like, are the are the, are the guys? They, I thought they'd all be like vicars or something, and there's some weird twist that. The vicars are all drunk and rape it, but he never turns up again. He just seems to, he's just there to give her a business card. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's keen to give people business cards in this film. Like, that, I mean, that, that entire scene could be cut out because his only purpose is that he offers exposition to introduce uh, the character of Jacob Patrick, who is yeah. the, the lawyer for the twins. Um, but and then, and then, unfortunately, we never see him again. And I, you know, if anything, this film needed more of uh, Father Muldoon. And I'll, I mean, it should hill. have been a fist fight on a bridge, on a waterfall, bridge, fist fight, Cage versus the vicar, <laughs> shirtless, yeah, and Cage just doing spin kicks. <laughs> Both wearing the tightest denim that you can possibly muster. Yeah, oiled up. Cage will have a mullet for some reason. Muldoon will have a mullet. <laughs> Rickety rope bridge, spin yeah. kick, spin kick, spin kick. He's agreed before the fight, spin kicks only. That's it. <laughs> the gentleman's fight, as I call it. <laughs> gentleman's fight, spin kicks only, no hits <laughs> below the belt. Are you ready? <laughs> they both plummet into the Niagara uh, Falls, only one will emerge. Um, but then I'll, I'll leave that to the audience to decide who emerges yeah. from the rapids. Um, but as as sort of happens here, they. Uh, I think this is this is again when you know Cage has to put a lot of emotional weight on Bethy uh, to backtrack slightly, because she's still in the hospital bed like her arm in a sling, um, and he comes in, her grandmother's there, and he's like, um, so oh my, my, she's trying to rest. My granddaughter's trying to rest. She's like, she's the only person who can identify these attackers. Everything that happens is solely on you. Um, <laughs> And then, little girl. <laughs> <laughs> little, a lot of finger, like, hey, listen here, little girl. Yeah. You've got a lot of exposition to do. Um, so not only are we going to give you sort of, you know, immediately the, the emotional burden of identifying your mother's attackers, but we're also going to tell you in depth her um, her distress and physical ailments to relate to other members of your family <laughs> so you can relive this trauma again and again and again. Yeah. Um, she, uh, she identifies them. We get their attorney Dixon, um, played by Cara Flowers, and then the court hearing we get. And this is kind of something that I wanted to talk about because it felt quite like I, I like I don't know if if that it would be ever how it worked here, but it felt like a very American court setting. Um, it, obviously Kirkpatrick, it's. Very obvious that him and the um, the judge are very chummy with each other, and the judge is very oh, dismissive yeah. of Tina's case. He sort of he makes her take off the sunglasses, even though she's oh she's very sensitive to light after the attack. He's like ah take your sunglasses off, not interested in what 
her attorney has to say, not really interested in what John has to say. And then sort of Kurt Patrick comes up with all like the confidence of swagger of like Zap Brannigan from Futurama. And then, and then he's like, ladies and gentlemen, America. And then the yeah. crowd are like, he just says like, oh, she's promiscuous. She paid him to do this. Um, she traded money for consensual sex. And then the the, the, the people who are in uh, in the room just give him a standing ovation. Is like, that yeah. When he says the woman, it paid... It was get paid for sex with her daughter. They start going, yeah, that's right. That's what we all thought. In the it, I mean, it's the most unreasonable. Nobody would ever act like that. The judge is, is basically high-fiving the, the four <laughs> guys that sat down. He's like, yeah, I've got you, don't you? <laughs> the judge has got so a boobazailer out at this point. He's so mean to her like, for no reason. Why is he so mean to that that woman? He's like, It would uh, never happen. He's, the judge is just an abysmal piece of shit. It's just a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> He's... Nobody is that insensitive to be like, oh, excuse me, woman, with bruises all over you. Can you take your sunglass off? They're distracting me, <laughs> even though I can't see your face whatsoever. <laughs> she's, she's obviously dealing with like severe PTSD. And she's like, oh, God, you want to fucking just tell me what happened? And she's like, uh, like well, um, and then she's like struggling. She's just like... Barely hold it together, and he basically blasts an air horn in her face. I go, ah, ah, what an unreasonable boo. man! How did he become a judge? What <laughs> um, characteristics did anyone see in him? <laughs> <laughs> did the High Court judge. The characteristics are America, and I can't stress that enough about this film. But uh, Daryl, in any circumstances, somebody would have stood up, stood up and go, "Hang on a minute, this is a bit strange, don't you think?" <laughs> Do you two know each other, the judge and the... Like, somebody would have intervened in real life going, I'm sorry, judge, what... what? <laughs> sorry, Mr. Judge, what on earth are you talking about? You well, can't talk to her like that. Well, this is the thing that any time, like, Dixon tries to make... tries to plead their case, the judge is just like, boring, <laughs> boring... <laughs> Uh, the, 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 a, Typical a, woman. She was asking for it. Sorry, Judge, uh, you can't say that. You're as boring as Daryl when he talks about his work day. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> Boo. And then, so anytime that Dixon tries to make a point, it's like overruled. And then when Kurt Patrick is going off on like one of his sort of um, speeches, Dixon's like, fuck that. And then he's like, sustained. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was just unbelievable bias that would not. Happened in any courtroom ever. It's continuing. He, I think he appears a little bit later, the judge as well, and then um, him and Kirkpatrick are just giving each other like a secret handshake, slapping and fist bumping and elbows and going, ooh. That's what I mean. It's the least subtle. It just throws it in your face that the... So you think, the, 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 the him and the, the, the prosecution are just best pals. It's that like conflict of interest has no bearing in this. Um <laughs> And this this is what I mean later as well when Kirkpatrick and Dixon are talking and then Kirkpatrick, not for the first time, lawyer explains to the only other lawyer. Um, and he's yeah, like, that poor woman. It's like, you thought the hearing was the trial, but let me guess, let me tell you this, it was the trial all alone. Like, rips his mask off to fit his own face and he's like, <laughs> like oh, I bet that you were going to go back to um, Tina and tell her and he told her it's all going to be different and your story was going to get heard. He's basically going boo hoo and like wiping yeah, the tears. Where, from it. where? <laughs> Somebody touched you. Where, where? Get over it. It's just terrible. 
they're all just like horrible, horrible people. And then you think like um, the the way it's going and it's kind of focusing on like the case and sort of the aftermath of the case and how Tina's dealing with all the stress and the trauma. Like is 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 Dixon gonna do anything else? But it's basically Kurt Patrick is just like, yep, you blew it, and then Dixon leaves and you never see her again. She's like, yeah, yeah you know, you know she go? she's like, you know what, Kurt Patrick, fair one, I fucked it, and then she. <laughs> <laughs> just, I've obviously been bested by a better man. Let's just leave it now. <laughs> Let's shake hands, hands like a uh, true scholars, and uh, go about our way. It um, takes forever to say nothing, as well, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? Through them, them pieces. I mean, we all know what's going to happen. That I think that's the point. The overarching thing of this film is that we all know everything that's going to happen in it. I think that's this, the main thing. The, yeah, absolutely. This is the thing. It's like. Again, sort of going back to Cage, this is, and I think from his performance as well, he's not. In, it doesn't feel like he was entirely there for this. This is a film no, that he, he can and has slept walk before through before. It's a similar film that he's done because it's. I think for that point, it was quite easy to pick up certain names to do films like this. Yeah. So he was very much sort of sleepwalking through it, and it's also. This is a film that we've seen a thousand times before. It doesn't do anything different. If anything, it does it just worse. Yeah, um, it's not bad, but it's not good either, is it? It's just, uh, I mean, he's probably the best actor in it, but he's just not, he's like almost like he turned up on the day. What, what are the lands? Yeah, go on, then we'll do that. Yeah, he was there for about four hours and he filmed a full movie. <laughs> it, it feels like he definitely did it in about. He's all his scenes in about two or three days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but but then following on from this, it's you know one of many scenes of people in or around Niagara Falls. Tina's going to sort of jump into the falls. Uh, John, as he tends to do from this point on, appears from out of nowhere <laughs> to <written>. stop <laughs> just to, to stop things from happening. I've written that down. He's so conveniently in the right place at every single time. It's unbelievable. He he loves appearing from off from off screen. Um, yeah. He he quite frankly cannot get enough of it. Um, but you know you could sort of understand that it happened. Tina's like I can't I can't carry on with this. But then he just appears um, from quite a uh, a broad visible landscape to be like. <laughs> You have a child. Yeah. <laughs> it's like stop guilting people. <laughs> like she's on the waterfall as well. Like I, I, nobody would be able to hear anything. He's just chatting to her on the waterfall. <laughs> it's a surprising Niagara Falls. If it is indeed the Niagara Falls um, or thereabouts, surprisingly quiet. Um, I, this is why I, I, you've answered something to me because I was like, "What's with all the waterfalls? Where is it set?" And I've watched it twice, and I didn't know that where it was set. Yeah, I, I think he has a jacket that says NFPD at some point. And I was like, oh, I didn't even look. Where's N, where's NF? And I, I, had to, I think someone mentions it. Like, I do, um, yeah, they might do. Yeah, yeah. It's probably at the bar going. You're a credit to Niagara Falls, John. <laughs> <laughs> Niagara would fall without you. Um, but then he he saves a. Um, he's got a suspiciously young person's jean on. I noticed by the uh, the stitch work on the pockets. Let me tell yeah. you, that's a young man's jean. Um, and this, this is where like he takes her home. Um, you doing something more interesting there, Sam? Sorry, I'm just turning <laughs> it off. I can't believe I left my phone on. 
hit my big break and I left my phone on the thing. It stays on, so you're about to get doxxed. Um, <laughs> um, but then this this is when I guess we're starting to build slowly towards the second half of this film. Because again, in my this it, it just turns into a film of two halves here because so it's, long though, like it's. It, it should, the film should have been about 28 minutes long. <laughs> We'd have got it all done. It, it could have been a short special, but it's like... It's not massively explained why he takes, I, I guess, such a special interest in the case to go to the extent that he goes to. Now, obviously, he meets Tina and he finds um, Bethy on the road, so he's kind of got... There's an interest there because he's familiar with the people, but... It's to go to the extent that he goes to. It's kind of not explained, like what might have happened to him or in his past. Is it just the connection he's got with that with Tina as a widower, or just that he happened to be in there and he's got obviously really mad about it because there's that shot of him just like seething in the back of the courtroom. Yeah. But then he goes from sort of yeah yeah you know um, cop who's done his time, um, who's seen the justice system fail to um, agent of vengeance. And vigilante. Why, yeah, why is it called Vengeance? A love story as well. Because that's what I presumed at the beginning. I thought that was going to be his sort of new wife who gets assaulted and stuff. But they, I don't think they see each other after the bar scene, do they? And then until later on, I guess. I don't know. It they just don't, seems weird to me. No, they don't see a lot of each other. But bringing that point up, though, about the title, um, the film was adapted from a 2003 novel by award-winning writer Joyce Carol Oates. The novel was called Rape, A Love Story. Ah. So I don't know if this is uh, a production company thing, if you can't, I guess, can't put rape in the title of a film. Um, That's why it feels like two different films. Like It felt like it could have been a really good story of a guy watching the justice system fail, and then to sell it, they just put Nicolas Cage in it and had him shooting people. Like, <laughs> could have been a great story. This, this is the thing. This, it happens with a lot of films around the, the time they sort of cheapest straight to DVD ones, where there are the crumbs of a better story in there, but yeah, just the people who are working on it just don't have the expertise to or the knowledge to pull it off. Um, but. Joyce Carol Oates, I tried to find if she'd had any um, input on the film. Excuse me, but I've been there. I tried to find if she had any input on the film. Uh, there's not. She sent two tweets um, about it, one in 2017, one in 2018. And she said, by changing the title of my novella, Rape, A Love Story, to Vengeance, A Love Story, filmmakers shift the point of view from female to male perspective. Um, and then she added to that in a later tweet that because of the title change, she's never watched the film. I'm glad she has um, watched it. So she's she's basically washed her hands of it. I think she only tweeted in promotion of it prior to the release because she was probably told to. Yeah, she's getting money um, for it, isn't she? Yeah. So that's kind of sort of the, the the situation with it there. So she's got no interest in it, and having not read the book, I I can only you you can definitely tell when this switches to like. Um, like our oh, like harrowing story about the justice yeah. system failing to, and now it's go time, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Clocking, loading guns, and let's help this poor helpless woman out. We'll send Nick Cage in. <laughs> it's like, do you know what this um this this poor woman needs? Nick Cage with a giant revolver. <laughs> this this will solve yeah. all of the issues there. 
Um, but then it's this, and I don't know, like, as you said, you can, you can see a mile off where this film is going. And um, obviously one of the, the four, um, I think it's Jimmy. I, again, I couldn't tell you which character of the, of like the awful four is which, um, but he knows where Tina and Bethy live and he's been into yes. the house and he's sort of killed their cat, which Bethy then has to like cut down and bury with her own hands in the garden. This is kind of the thing though, because when he's driving away from the house, uh, like Cage is driving past at the exact same time, sees him drive past and does nothing. Yeah. <laughs> he just lets it happen. Um, it's almost as if it, like, there was meant to be an inner turmoil with Cage where he's like, should I get involved or should I let the law do? But they just cut all that out and forgot forgot that was part of it. I'm not sure. I don't. I can't explain that. And yeah. that Johnny or Jimmy's going around just literally talking openly about how he did it as well, and yeah. nobody's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> nobody's saying anything. The very next scene, like they're in a bar and he's just there, um, dressed like an evil Willy Wonka for some reason, <laughs> with like this fucking strange top hat on, like, and like... the child catcher in Chitty Chitty <laughs> walking around like that. He's he's just there, like going. Twenty dollars betting on like a fight they've got in the bar. Like twenty dollars, he goes down. Twenty dollars, he goes like, and then no one's interested. Um, he loses his own bet, spits on the floor, and then he attacks the guy he made the bet with outside. And then, which is her boyfriend? Don't forget. I think he that's her original boyfriend. Is it? I thought. I think it is, and I thought it was, but he's. Again, I can't tell you which character is which in this film, so I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't really tell you why he's there either. Because he's just kind of, if it is the boyfriend, and I think you're right, I think it is, he's just sat at the bar trying to mind his own business, and he sort of alludes that he wants in on the bet. And then he he basically gets spat on, leaves, Jimmy attacks him, and then out of no, then the first, well, the second of many, and suddenly Nicolas Cage, <laughs> he appears and straight shoots him in the head. Um, well, I thought it was great. I was I was interested then. I was like, that's brilliant. Finally, some after an hour and forty minutes, it seemed like something's actually happened. <laughs> I was like, sick. It, it was like immediate execution, and then Jimmy was like on his feet for five seconds, like a bullet hole in his head, going, <laughs> "What?" And then <laughs> then falls face down. And then, uh, you know, John Draymore, just the classic, brandishes the badge. I'm a cop. And then the yeah, crowd like, oh, yeah, fair one. Cool. That's fine. Um, and then this is what I mean. Again, where you think he might get some answers for his actions. He's getting um, questioned by two cops. They're obviously investigating. This is like, you straight up shot this guy in the head. Um, they're like, you know, you, you clearly knew this guy. You're involved with the case. And then you're like, you're Desert Storm, you're a Purple Heart. Why are you trying to play this all off as a coincidence? <laughs> and then Cage, with about the the emotion of running tap water, says, it was meant to be. It had a purpose. You got to discharge my duties and officer of the law. And then they're like, yeah, yeah, fair one, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, honestly, that is, a, that is almost, I thought we were watching a clip from the film, the way you just described that. It's a good <laughs> bit, and it's emotionless. They're like... So, Purple Heart, you won that. Yeah, uh, Everyone in this town is easily convinced of anything. <laughs> Everybody just so easily convinced. The jury, 
the cops themselves. Yeah, no, I didn't mean to. Oh, all right, sorry, I, I didn't mean to blame you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's like just in the water of Niagara Falls that um, everyone's like, oh yeah, my bad, my bad. Yeah, don't worry about it. Sorry. Oh, I have to, so apologetic. Yeah, like, we. You know, it's like we have to ask these questions with cops. <laughs> I think. Cage's character is the only person in the history of Niagara Falls who has ever held a grudge. Yeah, I agree. This is like, instead of the invention of lying where they learn how to lie, it's like, oh, I've learned that killing people is fun. Yeah, it's called Move On City. It was the original <laughs> title of it. it just moves <laughs> on from everything and just forgets about it. Don't worry about it, Avenue is uh, is where they live here. And... um. Let me get some more Kirkpatrick stuff. And he's he's speaking again to Mr. and Mrs. Fig. And now sort of in the wake of the case, and I'm not and I'm not sure if I missed something here, but it seemed to be like at the hearing that the case was had largely been sort of in the in the favour of like the assaulters. Um there's like, oh yeah, you're um your kids would probably need to do like a minimum three year plea deal, probably looking at maximum of twenty. The dad's like, Well, we should get like a buy one, get one free on our kids because we've got two and it's like, you're yeah. an idiot. This isn't how the law works. And then it seems like Kirkpatrick is maybe kind of being nice. His characterization is really confusing. I was like, wait, whose side are you on? And then Mrs. Fick is like, she's a whore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, just the unreasonable mum defending the kids. And the dad, are like, they're, they're hillbillies, but they live in one of the nicest houses I've ever seen. And... Does he put his house up as a, like a, a yes, pen or yeah. and they lose it? And the the lawyers like, well, we've got some, even though he absolutely obliterates the hearing. By the way, it's the it's the greatest victory in law history for the first <laughs> bit. He's like, no, we should probably take the three years because there's so much evidence against you. It's unbelievable. So I don't understand that bit. And how did they get a retrial if the hearing didn't go well? I don't if that if that was the main thing. Yeah, it, it so seems. Confusing. It seems to play quite fast and loose with the court process, and just assumes that you'll you'll just be fine with it. It's like, you know, it's absolute home run at the hearing, um, but now you're making a plea deal for the brothers. Um, it's not clear if if anything was happening to the other two, if if they were being getting yeah, a plea deal or yeah. I suppose by that point one of them's dead. Um, so it's so. And did the lawyer represent all four of them? Or just the two guys? Because we didn't really see that, did we? Yeah, it's a bit murky on that one as well. The, the implication from the hearing is that he's implying all four with the classic, these are upstanding members of society. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's a stupid thing. It's like, like you can't take their uh, lives away. They're on a sports scholarship. <laughs> um, <laughs> think these are promising the... young athletes. <laughs> Who will play sports for Niagara Falls football? <laughs> not, no, it's not specifically mentioned in the sport or any, and the four least <laughs> athletic men you've ever seen in your entire life. They'll ever shoot rats as a sport. Yeah, they're, they're off into Tatooine shooting um, shooting <laughs> womp rats for power converters. That's the kind yeah, of one of them's got that Anakin Skywalker like like one dreadlock, aren't they? As well, <laughs> that's a good analogy. I mean, that's that's a man who definitely hates sauce owing to its coarseness. Um, if I've ever seen one, um, so the, the the whole lawyering of this it's very fast and loose and confusing about what's going on. But then um, we get the next scene, which was 
one of my favourites because it's, again, peak America. Beautiful. We get John, who's standing over the Niagara Falls, and he's just, like, looking out across Niagara, and then an eagle cries, like, Arr! and then the eagle's in shot, and I was like, fucking hell. I know. I, I just couldn't believe it. I, I, was, I thought, this is a joke. This is a parody film, and I'm not getting it. <laughs> He's literally, as you've just described, he's taking it all in. Like, he hasn't lived in the Niagara Falls for obviously 50-odd years, however old he is. And he's like, what decision should I make next? Oh, thank you, Eagle, for confirming that I'm making the right choice. It's like, cacao. You're welcome, Nicholas Cage. Cacao, cacao. Do what you think is right. (laughs) Follow your heart, John. The truth will set you free. <laughs> and then, the, then he basically just like looks into the sunset, and then um, Eye of the Tiger starts playing. Dink, 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 dink. It might as well be. Yeah, it's the most cliche-ridden. But but the music's really good. Like it's almost like this. It's not the sum of its parts. This film because I like <laughs> the music choice is actually decent. But you're just watching Cage, just like. Sorry, you can't see me on the video, but just staring, just <laughs> like into the sunset, just <laughs> as if he's contemplating what what path should I go down now? Oh, I'll go on the right path. <laughs> I stress that Sam completely forgot the medium of podcasting. Then it started, <laughs> started staring, at this. <laughs> started acting. <laughs> I forgot we were on a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> but then I think the eagle must have told him what to do next because the the brothers get a call from someone who is I think claims to be a, a, a criminal investigator or a lawyer or something and yeah I, I'm not sure what they said we don't know who that who's doing it though who's working I, th- I think it must be like John setting up the plan because yeah. they say like oh this person's got evidence on Tina it can really like prove our case that you know Tina is what whoever says she is so Again, the most easily persuaded people on earth, by the way, just believing that straight away and driving to the Niagara Falls to meet them. One of the brothers is like, you know, why is why is he? This is the quote unquote the dumb brother. He's like, why is why why are you getting told that we've got to go to Niagara Falls to get evidence from a man we've never met before? It's like because you're the dumb one. That's why people talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I don't know if you noticed this as well. When they're driving in the car, it felt like. It should have been an outtake, but they just kept rolling. Like it's the dumb, dumber brother with the hair braid, and he's doing something with like the cigarette lighter or something, and he drops it on his lap. And he's like, "I'm going to burn my dick off," and then it's yeah. like, felt like a weird thing to keep in. It must have been for ta- the cat. Have had enough time in the film. There must it must have been about ninety-one minutes, and like, well, I'm gonna have to make this a little bit longer. Leave that bit in because it was so unnecessary. It was it was a weird sort of um, addition to make at that point when the film has done nothing but say like oh these are all like weird. Was it scum. to try and make them likable before before we see what happens to them? I, I, I don't know. Again, it, it's a cliche ridden thing, but I don't understand that. It's just like oh, when we're about an hour into the film, this is the point where we start to uh, we uh, bring bring the the brothers back into the light. We give them their own eagle to follow. Well, then... When they get in the tattoos as well, he's like, can I have a tattoo of an apple pie? And he's like, my mum used to make me apple pie when I was a little boy. And women <laughs> think, oh, that rapist is lovely. What was the matter? He's, he's a treat. He's just a, he's just a sad soul. It's like you're supposed to be watching that at home and you're like, wait a minute, 
I like apple pie too. (laughs) (laughs) It's not all black and white, but it might be a bit (laughs) grey. There sure are grey areas with these rapists. Um, (laughs) Well, they they get to Niagara Falls, and obviously because of motion, it starts thundering and raining. And then... (laughs) This Brilliant. is the, the funniest part in the film for me. Like the, the, the smart brother goes out and it's like, where is this guy? Where is this guy? And suddenly, bang, he goes flying off the Niagara Falls. Excellent. Um, and then Cage is there with a super long revolver rifle, as we've seen. And, and like, I can't stress how, how funny it was. It, would, it was so sudden. And he went, eh. <laughs> <laughs> and he caps the other guy in the kneecap and then the other kneecap. And like, because he's an expert marksman, as we found out earlier on, it doesn't he shoot him in the both knees, both shoulders as well? And then before when he drops, he shoots him again. It gives him the old head, shoulders, knees, and toes, knees yeah, and toes, right. <laughs> <laughs> and eyes and ears and mouth and nose. Yeah. And then um, he just like shoes him off into the Niagara Falls as well. Brilliant. But yeah. this is this is part three of Nicolas Cage appearing from the shadows. And then in <laughs> in my notes in all caps, like it's John Cena. I had the stone cold music breaks, like and he just runs in as stun as a buff off the Niagara Falls. <laughs> Glass smashes, stone cold yeah. Nick, stone cold Steve Cage. <laughs> oh my god, King! It's Nick Cage. <laughs> Jim the Eagle Ross. Stone Cage, Stone Cage, Stone Cage. <laughs> Um, oh, bad God Almighty, <laughs> he killed him. <laughs> I killed him. I killed him. I killed him. I killed him. It was just uh, out of the blue, but you knew it was coming. But it was just the way he stepped up, like like Superman. He should have been Superman, <laughs> shouldn't he? He should have, and I still hold that hope that Hollywood will see the error of its continued ways. I agree. Um, <laughs> if he was Superman in this, that would be a much better film. Uh, it'd be... Yeah, almost watchable if he was. <laughs> Vengeance, a Superman story. Um, and then we get there's there's one more scene of uh, Bethy and her grandmother going out, and then she's very spookily approached by who I found out this the last guy is definitely called Fritz. He's the guy with the short hair, the emo um, looking type guy, the emo looking guy who wears the short sort of checkered shirts. I, I, again, another point, sorry to interrupt you, they've all got the same clothes on that they had on, on the night when they committed the crime. He still wears the same shirt. Now, that seems weird. Yeah, they, they don't... I don't think they get dressed or change their clothes at any at point, yeah. which tries to make it suggest that all this happens in the space of about an hour. Just it, must to... be day, like, it must be days. There must be at least three days in between... I don't know, because they tra- they had a trial, so that takes a little bit of time to set up, you would think. <laughs> They've missed the due process of like the police doing their findings. They've just said, there's spunk everywhere. Like this <laughs> one. Like, just one guy coming out, going like, oh, God, this this one's uh, this is open and shut case. He can't move for the fingerprints. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, they're suddenly in court, and then suddenly... The, the hearing is won, and then suddenly there's they need to plead to get like a m- minimum sentence... And then Cage is like, fuck that shit out. I've got bullets. Yeah, I've got the world's biggest gun and I know how to use it. <laughs> I got a purple heart, god damn it. 
Yeah, that was great. <laughs> when they said, they, they were just nonchalantly reading off a list of achievements. It was like Desert Storm, Purple Heart, and he's like, yeah, so what? <laughs> I I dare you to find me a single renegade cop that doesn't at least have the purple heart. Loads, they just give them out for fun. Apparently, it just I've got one over here. <laughs> <laughs> he just sent a tweet and says, "Can I get a, a, a purple heart at U.S. Army?" And they said, <laughs> "DM us your oh, address. <laughs> DM me your address, hun." Yeah, it's it's really that easy to get a purple heart, and nothing in my experience can contradict that. Um. But then even with with this guy, with Fritz, he gets, he's just kind of on his own because he's sort of um, evilly whispered to Bethy in like a shoe store, you're going to tell people that I've gone, you're going to tell people that I wasn't there. So she, she understandably freaks out. But then after that, he's sort of chilling out in his like, his house or whatever. And he gets a call from a girl who she's like, oh, like I'm a former classmate. I used to sit behind you in school. I've got some evidence on Tina. Want to meet at a motel? And it's definitely like a woman's voice because you it hear is, it. Yeah. But then it's never explained who that woman is because I thought for a moment like, oh, is John convinced like Tina to call him? But for all intents and purposes, it is a completely different woman and her identity, if she is this former classmate or not, it's never explained. It's just... No, it's so weird it's just a very quick plot device, like just this MacGuffin thing, just to get him into the motel so John can appear from the shadows. <laughs> he does as well. He almost Batman like comes out of the shadows. <laughs> it's not a big hut. You would have seen as you walked in, you'd have gone, What's Nicholas Cage doing stood in the corner of the room? It's not a big enough <laughs> hotel room to do that reveal. I, I'd go back to reception like. Um, excuse me, Nicholas Cage is in my room and he's just standing in the corner. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, he does that. Yeah, yeah, he's going to come out at some convenient point. And he will, but you know him, oh, he just get, it's just, here's the keys. It's not a problem. Vending machine's over there if you want him to press nine on the, <laughs> on the telephone. He's not in the hotel room, he's tiny. And he comes out of like the convenient shadow. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, you should probably get like Nick, Nick Cage like a Snickers or something that all. Uh... <laughs> That tends to calm him down if he can, if he yeah. can have a Snickers or a Mars oh, bar. He's in there again. Margaret, Nicholas Cage is in on the corners. Get Bill. Oh. <laughs> you gotta get you gotta get room service in there, Bill. I'll try, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Nicholas Cage is a cold customer. Yeah. Um, when he he appears for the final time in the film from out of the shadows, Brilliant. and I'll be, and I'll be honest, it was a great shadow reveal. Um, very one of the best shadow reveals that I've seen in cinema. Um, and then, the, you know, we get we get Fritz quickly dispatched, but he's like, um, put your hand on the gun, write this suicide note, and he's yeah. like, nah, you're all right. He just keeps hitting him with the gun until he does it. He's like, nah, do it. It's fun, bit of fun, bit of a laugh, bit of a laugh. Yeah, go on then. I'll I'll, I'll do it. Uh, again, easily convinced man. It's like it almost made him dig his own grave, and he's like, yeah, no worries. I'll just. But when he hits him with a gun. I don't know whether it's a theatre thing, but I think he actually catches the guy in real life when I was looking at it, because it, it, he's, he's visibly like, ah, like that. And I'm pretty sure he catches him in the eye by accident. But Nicholas Case is such a good actor, it did not affect his performance <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> oh, um, actually, GBH will uh, not... Will, one of the least things in his mind is in the middle of a take. Nicholas Cage was a one-take man. Let me tell you, he must have been on this because I can't. He looked like he was reading lines off-screen when he was doing certain bits of it. 
I, I genuinely think he had an actually loaded gun and re- really killed that man to get the take. <laughs> <laughs> Almost a documentary style thing, isn't it? Yeah. Just a I, really badly filmed documentary. I, I genuinely believe that we saw a snuff film um, play out there and that there's a, a, a dead man. Um, Nicolas Cage will spill blood to get the shot. <laughs> it's well known. It's well known he'll go to any length and he, this... he, he'll kill the <laughs> <laughs> to, get, to get that shot. <laughs> if it, there's a few things in my experience that are correct is that Nicolas Cage will kill to get the take and he will never act unless he's at least semi-erect. Um, well, yeah, I, I can imagine. It's the only thing that will get him onto the set. Um, <laughs> the pheromones. They have, to, they have to spread pheromones everywhere and he just, he just ends up. That's why he's in the right place every time. <laughs> that's to, that to Lauren been there with the after aphrodisiacs like oysters and pheromones. Otherwise Definitely. he won't. Otherwise he will not act. Um, <laughs> but I, I, it's it's like I I guess he can sort of see where it's coming from or not. But I don't know. Just like the the bill just to kill off these these four people. It always happened so quick. It was so unsatisfying, wasn't it? The end, the way they ended. Unsatisfying. I, I, yeah, I was kind of expecting them to have maybe more of like a. I don't know, like a chase to um, kill at least one or two of them because they all got dispatched. Yeah. And I, I suppose with something like this, it's kind of like, not that necessarily that I wanted it to be drawn out, but I suppose I wanted to feel something more. But every time they got killed, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's... that's exactly right. There was no intrigue to it. There was no, like, it was just inevitable. Do you know what I mean? He, he didn't really trick him. He just got a woman to ring up and say, I've got... I've got convenient evidence that is going to get you out. Oh, all right, I'll be there in 10 minutes. And they show up on their own. Just, nobody would ever do it. The Three out of four of the attackers all fall for being called by a stranger who tells them that they have irrefutable evidence. Yeah. So that man sounded suspiciously like Nicolas Cage. Shut up, you're an idiot. Yeah. Definitely, it definitely wasn't the cop who wants us dead. He couldn't oh, I'm sorry, be. I didn't mean to question you. I'll turn up straight away. <laughs> send me your coordinates and I'll be there in five <laughs> but then this is kind of the thing as well because um, now all the four are dead they've all been executed in some way shape or form Yeah. and no I'm, I mean I guess you, you can sort of tell why but there's there's no um, n- no sort of Cage doesn't have to worry about it he's not questioned by the police he gets even slightly it's like you think those two cops are like okay, like well, you know, you had to sort of brandish your gun. You say it was self-defense. You were you were attached to this guy, but then you're like, the other three have turned up dead with weapons I've definitely seen you practice with every yeah. day on the shooting range, and he's just like, yeah, but I've got a purple heart though. Also, where where were you? There's no question where were you in the night in question? What what do what were you up to? Why are all three of them dead within a short space of time? What what was your car doing parked at Niagara Falls at night in the rain? We have an anonymous anonymous tip from a, a local eagle who can put you at Niagara Falls at <laughs> every night in question. Yeah. But well, the townspeople cheered when the woman got accused of leading the men on. And then they all seem to be like, oh, yeah, well, justice was served in the end when they were all murdered. <laughs> it shouldn't come down to two people on a Nick Cage podcast questioning the uh, police procedures <laughs> of, Ni- of the Niagara Falls PD. Yeah. Um, and yet, 
yeah, so we're here, here we are. Like justice has been. I don't know. Justice was adjacent to what was happened. Was it? Was it adjacent? <laughs> what, what was the message that we were trying to we, we had to take away from the film? Was it? Is vengeance good or bad? Was he a torn man? Was it? Was his? Was his morals? Or was he just going through the motions? And just <laughs> There's nothing to suggest that Cage won't indiscriminately kill again. He just seems to be. He's worse than the the, the rapists. He's, he just goes around <laughs> murdering people left, right, and centre. It's like, well, good job, Niagara Falls PD. Now he's got a taste for it. Yeah. Is the police chief ever like questions like, why is there forty-eight murders a day in Niagara Falls? I don't know. I don't really look into it. <laughs> it's like you're well, you're the only senior detective with a purple heart who's always conveniently at the crime scene. It's like, but did I mention I was in Desert Storm? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, damn, he's. He's got us again with the Desert oh, Storm. Oh, he was in Desert Storm, though, wasn't he? I forgot about that. He was in Desert Storm. It's like, ah, drat, you've got us again, Drummore. Yeah. <laughs> but then he just, he just... And then when... Before, like, the actual end, you get sort of the, the brief conversation between Kirkpatrick and, 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 and Cage's character. Uh, this is where I said Kirkpatrick is like, well, like, the Constitution means that I'm allowed to defend these people, but it doesn't say anything about vigilantism. And he's like, oh, uh, I don't know what you're on about, coincidence, Desert Storm, Purple Heart. And then the exchange with Kirkpatrick is like, oh, you may need my services someday. And then John, um, John's like, I-, I hope you'll never need mine. I was like, stop admitting it. Yeah, everyone <laughs> knows what's going on. Everyone. <laughs> everyone in Niagara. But, like, you're so lucky that Niagara Falls has such, like, a collective amnesia and kindness about horrific things that happen. I, do you know what bit made me laugh the most out of everything, and I rewound it twice, is when the lawyer's like, you may need my services someday. And he walks up and he gets on that huge silver bike. <laughs> <the shop. laughs> he just drives away to the sunset. <laughs> He's in his suit. He doesn't put a helmet on. He just drives away and he's fucking like... Just above the law, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> there has never been a character in cinema more above the law than uh, than, than Kirkpatrick, who just like drives away in his like massive oversized chrome chopper into the sunset, <laughs> and then fun. and then immediately Cage goes to his car and pops a shotgun in the boot of the car. Yeah, why? I don't why know. I don't know. Like he just pops. Like he's off to offer offer his services to someone else. Like he's like ah, the, a date. Yeah, I didn't think of it like that. Yeah, like another day, another dollar sort of thing. <laughs> I don't know. He's like he's basically Batman on the top of like um, a gargoyle over Niagara Falls, <laughs> Gotham City. Yeah, <laughs> and like I am the night. I am the cage. Oh, and then the down. most undeserved emotional ending with that little girl as well. Like I didn't. I didn't know them characters were linked in that way. That was unreal. It, it, yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing to say that like all Cage's interactions has been is like okay, we spoke at a bar, you know, I was at the thing. Like, I'm also angry that justice wasn't served, but then he's put all this emotional guilt. Is like, I need you to identify these attackers right now. Here's my business card. Look after your mother. This is all your fault. And then <laughs> they're they're linking interlocking fingers through, but like I don't know the metaphor of a chain link fence. I don't yeah, understand. Yeah, because you could not come round the other side. It was like a four foot walk. I mean, they definitely could have just like gone. Oh, there's, 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 we can come round. Yeah, they lock interlock fingers, and then Beffy's like crying, like, "Oh, like, I, I love you," and then he's like, 
if I ever had a daughter, I hope she grows up to be just like you. Yeah. And then Bethy and Tina wave him off because they're off to California to start again. Yeah. And then John drives in his car to go back to work to earn his paycheck, and then and then the film ends. But you're right, it's it, it's interesting because it's such such a forced emotional ending. Oh. So unsatisfying and undeserved as well. He did like, and then the, the woman who, who has been brutally assaulted, she's perfectly fine now. These guys are dead, so they, that's all great. They're moving to California for some reason, and the, the girl at the end, she obviously knows he's the kid, Nicholas Cage is going around murdering these men, presumably. <laughs> and she's like, she's like, oh, and she's crying. Which throughout the full film, she's been the rock of everybody. When her mum got attacked, she was solid. She, when the cat got murdered and hung up in front of the door, she covered it up and didn't say a word. And at the end, when she's leaving Nicholas Cage for a bit, she starts tearing and goes, I love you. Like, I mean, great actress, by the way. She'll do well, but it's it just a terrible, terribly written film. Terrible ending. <laughs> it's, they, they try to tie up, like, every loose end by the end of it. Like, Kirkpatrick is just driven away... Um, and I, I had to start laughing at Kirkpatrick, and it's like, <laughs> it's, it might as well go like, oh, I'll be back in the sequel. Wiggling. <laughs> <laughs> again, again, same suit on that he had on in the court day. So presumably they filmed all his bits in one day and didn't change his wardrobe at all. It's it's genuinely incredible. And, you know, uh, Don Johnson here from the likes of um, Miami Vice and the Aces and Nash Bridges and stuff. Uh, yeah, he was good, but. I, I thought. Was he? He, like, it wasn't the worst thing about the film, but it's just, it's like, oh, like, again, <laughs> going back to like Priest, um, Fulmore or whatever his name was. Yeah, John Claude Van Priest, yeah. <laughs> oh, was that Father Muldoon? How could I forget? Father Muldoon! What is his name? <laughs> Father Muldoon. Mold- French accent. Father Muldoon's like, oh yeah, you need to um, hire this guy who keeps um, winning cases for the Vatican about child molestation, and then he's, you know, he's awful and sleazy, and a family loses their house because of him, and then he's like, oh yeah, your kid should probably go to to prison, and then he's kind of sleazy and lawyer explains to female lawyers, and yeah, and then he and he drives away. I've never seen a more confident piece of shit. In uh, in a film, this honestly this into the sunset on probably the most expensive bike I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. It was like shiny chrome plated, whatever. I don't know bikes. They had a load of mirrors <laughs> and like was, the hero should be Nicholas Cage should have been driving off in it. Do you know what I mean? It was that About sort of ten exhaust on each side of the back wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. F- fuzzy dice. No, almost, no self-respecting lawyer would turn up to court. On the back of that chopper, ever. Him, him and the judge just on two choppers. Go, I'm on the highway to hell. Just the judge in a sidecar with a little scarf on and a fitting. Going golfing for the weekend. Little goggles and a little like green yeah. helmet. Going. Golfing. I mean, the worst judge in in history should not have been. It should have been disbarred years ago. But I mean, there was a there's a fair case to get him disbarred and Kirkpatrick having his <laughs> license taken off him. But to, to a, to I feel a like dis- I'm dwelling on that too much, but yeah. I mean, Dixon had a great, such a strong case for malpractice at every stage. But um, she was she was lawyer explained and said you didn't do a good job, and she's like, yeah, I'm going to go think about this, and uh, yeah, immediately gave up and never went back. I'm going to let my client su- client suffer on my behalf. 
um, whilst the whilst the officer takes the law into his own hands, <laughs> and everyone everyone in Niagara Falls is completely fine about it. <laughs> just getting on with the day. Just not even oh yeah. So if you about what happened, yes, I did. I've got no opinion on it. <laughs> have you heard about what keeps happening in Niagara Falls? Yes, yes, I have. So if anyone is listening from Niagara Falls who has any contacts in Niagara Falls, I need you to get get in touch because I have answers about the way your society, your <laughs> lenient, lax society yeah. works. You know, um, slide into the DMs because I've got a lot of questions. Where is Niagara Falls? What state is it? Is it? Do we know? No, I don't know that. I think I'll. Uh, let me. I think is it? In, Google that. Is it in Canada? It it spans them. Let's go to our good friend Wikipedia here. It's got to be near New York, York sort of way, hasn't it? New York. Um, Niagara Falls is a gorge. There's a group of three waterfalls at the southern end of Niagara Gorge, spanning the border between the province of Ontario in Canada and the state oh. of New York. No wonder they're oh. so nice if they're bordering on Ontario. Um, it did seem other. cold, but then that might be my... Is Canada cold? I might be confusing all that. I should have done my research before asking that question. I just don't understand where it is. I don't, I don't, it's like a <laughs> fictional world where it's just like, almost like people get men in blacks every day and forget stuff. <laughs> there's the, the, what we're saying is there's nothing in Sam's experience to suggest that Niagara Falls is a real place. Yeah, that's, <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it's like. Where did that waterfall come from? <laughs> so all we, all we can conclude here that... Um, you know, this film is nonsense, and Niagara Falls is a giant work of fiction, one of the biggest myths since Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, it's like Middle Earth or Narnia. Niagara Falls is that. <laughs> it's like, oh, next you're going to be telling me that Bigfoot lives in Niagara Falls. <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. Good. Just a ridiculous film. Just, I mean, quite enjoyable, though, but ridiculous nonetheless. I mean,. You know, I think a, a lot more to dislike than like about the film. Yeah. Um, for for a time, Nick Cage was signed on to direct the film, but he dropped out for a Johnny Martin due to scheduling conflicts. For a ah. time, um, in in the late uh, area of two thousand and nine, Samuel L. Jackson had originally attached uh, Diane Weist, Abigail Breslin, later Rumor Thurman. All, wow. All were attached, but production was halted for reasons unknown. Um, because they couldn't just they couldn't agree where Niagara Falls was on the map. Yeah, nobody could find it. They were trying to drive around. <laughs> nobody knew where it was. Tour production apart, uh, the screenplay. You know, we're, we're talking about sort of the weird writing here. Uh, if John, it was written, it, let, let, sorry to interrupt you, but if it was actually written, not made up every day on the spot. Some, <laughs> I feel like somebody gave somebody the synopsis of the book, and then they told somebody else, and then they told the director. And then he just was like, oh, this is what happened. So by the time it got back to Johnny Martin, it was just, well, rumour has it, uh, there's this giant water basin. Um, John Mankiewicz is responsible for this, uh, who yeah. was a co-producer on and writer on House of Cards, also wrote episodes of House as well. Oh, wow. Um, and budget-wise, as we're saying, um, I think very, very limited release, made about $73,000 at the box office. Um, budget for it, not known because people like us, we don't need to know, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but not 
not not too much else to really sort of speak about sort of covering the film. It, going back to the, you know the four reviews here, that Nicolas Cage can practically sleepwalk through these type of generic vigilante roles. Um, Brian Orndorff of Blu-ray.com nerd uh, <laughs> wrote. If one is only interested in watching poorly coiffed, dentally challenged fiends receive their just desserts, there are worse options out there, with most of them also starring Nicolas Cage. So Brian Orndorff, if you want to fucking fight about it... Yeah, I want to know where he lives, because I'm going to go see him in a bit. (laughs) And he had the nerve to publish that review on my birthday in 2017, September 14, so you've offended me and Cage in one fell swoop, Brian. Shit. So what, I think what we've learned here is that Niagara Falls doesn't exist. Uh, the justice system of this alleged Niagara Falls is a joke. And Brian Orndorff, come get yours, son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Just, and Nicholas Cage is impervious to 85 mile an hour collisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, these, these are the takeaways I, look, uh, takeaways I look for at this point in podcasting. But I suppose as we, we sort of come to the end of this... Uh, Vengeance of Love Story. I guess what was your your final thoughts on this movie, movie B here? Uh, final thought. It probably should have never got made. It's an, it's an unnecessary story. And I imagine from looking at the parts of it, you, you, you look at it and think there's a story in here somewhere about like the woman who gets assaulted and the, she's was drunk at a party beforehand. So it's like a case of like, it could have been a good courtroom drama of, oh, I don't know who to believe. But all of that was just swept over and almost just put in place just so he could see Nicolas Cage shoot somebody in cold blood. And he doesn't even have that character struggle of like, what, oh, should I or shouldn't, what sort of cop am I? He's just like, <laughs> oh, no, I've made madman up. One quick swoop over Niagara Falls has absolutely made madman up. It was a necessary long film. It should have been about a 28-minute CSI episode. That's my synopsis of this. <laughs> Would have been better as CSI. Yeah. And um, it doesn't take a lot for the cops of Niagara Falls to start throwing their purple hearts in people's faces. Like, I've got purple hearts, I've got newspaper clippings, I've been to Desert Storm, you'll let me I do mean, what I want. I mean, that was hilarious. See, seeing him superimposed onto somebody's face where hero cop saves town, he's just, it told, it told you everything you needed to know about the film. The film really just was, how quickly can we get this ridiculously large gun into Nicolas Cage's hands? <laughs> <laughs> and let me tell you, not fast enough. Not fast enough and not long enough. <laughs> The gun wasn't long enough. The shooting wasn't fast enough. Um, uh, minus five stars for me. Um, but I think on those on those absolute bomb shells, <laughs> we we come towards the end of this week's episode of Cage Rage and Nicholas Cage podcast. As we wrap up here, Samar, of course, thank you for joining me. What a privilege! What a oh, pleasure! Yeah. Um, if the listeners. Do care to find your views on Niagara Falls continuing into the year of our Lord 2022. Uh, where can we find you on um, on the interwebs and that such? Uh, you can find all my views on Niagara Falls shortly on Agent Marrow uh, on Instagram. Um, I'm also on Facebook and I'm doing a few gigs here and there. So, yeah, look out for me. I'm sure I'll incorporate some into it. Yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> Wonderful stuff. All the links in the description as per usual. 
we come to the end of this week's episode. So I'd like to say once again, thank you to Samurai for joining me this week. Uh, and you, the, the 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 bloody listener there, thank you for listening. Uh, you're the real hero of Niagara Falls here. We'll see you in the next one. Oh. But until then, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you, take care, and goodbye. <laughs>